Um, I want to just share in, uh, some of you have probably never met Jim McCracken. Uh, Jim is the leader of the Truebridge Group of Churches, which we are a part, a part of. Jim has been working with us as a church for 20-some uh, years already. And in, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about after Christ ascended, he, he gave gifts to the church. And we sometimes refer to them as the five-fold ministry gifts, but the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. And Jim is very gifted and anointed in that apostolic role of church planting and ministering to us. Uh, he's been a mentor to me. If people ask me who my pastor is, I tell them it's Jim McCracken. So it's a privilege for us to have Jim here. He, he travels a lot, ministering to churches like us. Uh, lots of times he gets called in when things are a little bit messy and hard, so it can be a, a draining ministry as well. So we're praying that he comes down here and can be refreshed as he's here. So would you welcome Jim as he comes? Thank you. Thank you, Mike. I want to say, uh, how you all doing? Because I was just in Tennessee for a week and a half. If you hang out there too long, you start saying y'all. Then if I'm on the Iron Range where I minister, then I say use, how you doing? So it depends on where you come from, you know. Uh, I really appreciate your faithful prayers and support for Truebridge. We were studying in the adult Sunday school class this morning, uh, Colossians chapter 1, and Paul mentions twice in the book of Colossians, Epiphras. We don't hear a lot about him. Um, I think he's mentioned three times there in the New Testament. But one thing Epiphras was doing, Paul says he's working hard for you. What was he doing? Well, he says he was wrestling for you in prayer. So that shows how important prayer is in the kingdom of God. So I appreciate you wrestling in prayer for Truebridge. Um, you'll see in your bulletin that um, the church in Lake Crystal, which is planted out of this church, uh, is having their launch next Sunday. So please continue to wrestle for them in prayer. They need a pastor, and we need uh, pastors for three other True Bridge churches. So thank you for your prayers for that. Also, we have a new church plant in Seattle, uh, <clears throat> and that's one that needs prayer. Um, we also have a new church in Baldwin, Wisconsin. And uh, Ten Strike, Minnesota. Have you ever been to Ten Strike? If you drive into Ten Strike, you're north of Bemidji, you're on your way to Black Duck, and it says population 201, and the church has 300 people in it. So it's pretty cool, pretty cool scenario, and they've, uh, they've asked if they could join Truebridge, so we'll be spending some time with them. So that's what I do, and I appreciate your support and, and your prayers. You're a big part of what happens in, uh, in Truebridge. You know, if we have a really good day, we often use the term, man, that was a red-letter day. You ever said that? <clears throat> something successful, maybe something at work, something in your uh, family. Wow, that was a red-letter day. Do you know where that comes from? Well, in the Middle Ages, on their calendars, if they knew a day was going to be a really good day, they put it in red letters. So days like Christmas and Easter, they knew it would be a good day, celebrating things of the Lord. So that's where the whole thought came from. It's a red-letter day. It's a great day. Well, I know a guy who had the ultimate red-letter day. He came from the Mideast, came over to America to study to be a doctor, and one day at lunch break, he noticed the guy next to him was reading a Bible. And in the Bible, some of the words were in red. You ever seen one of these? You know what the red letters are? The words of Jesus. 
And I don't know if you have a red letter Bible, but this guy was noticing his friend at lunchtime reading this Bible had red letters. So he he said, what are those red words? And um, the guy who was reading it was a follower of of Christ. And he said, those are the words of Jesus Christ who I follow. So the guy from the Mideast who was not a believer at that time said, uh, wow, I'd like to read those red words someday. And so the Christian man said, here, you can borrow my Bible, take it. In fact, you can have it. And so the guy brought it home, read it that weekend, and he came back on Monday and said, I read all the red words, and I now am a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe that he died for me, and I believe God raised him from the dead. (laughs) All from reading the red letters. So that was the ultimate red letter day. And uh, I want to say something to us this morning. If you don't remember anything else, please remember this. If we know the words of Christ and live by them, Every day can be a red-letter day, no matter what's going on. No matter what's going on, every day can be a red-letter day because the things that Jesus said were so packed with life, so full of things for us that can cause us to live lives filled with joy and peace. You know, all of Scripture is breathed upon by God. That's what Paul said to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, the Bible literally came out of the breath of God. So we can trust it. It is the word of God. It is scripture. But there's something unique and special about the words of Jesus, isn't it? Because these are the words of our Lord and Savior. And furthermore, as we read the words of Christ, those red letters, those red words, it gives us such insight into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, and all of Scripture. For example, when some of the religious leaders were trying to kind of trap Jesus, they said, what's the greatest commandment? And he said this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, I'm paraphrasing, I'll throw in a second one for no charge. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? If people had been studying their Scripture in those days, they would have known those things. And so as we read that, in one sense, we say, well, we could have known that by reading the Old Testament. But I want to tell you, Jesus added something else after that. This is what he said. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Last time I was with you, I shared about how Jesus takes complicated things and makes them simple. If you looked at all the law and the prophets, there'd be like a thousand 1,200 requirements, and Jesus took that complicated thing and made it simple, and he said, on these two commands, hang all the law and the prophets. So you can see how important the red letters are, and they're extremely important in our life. It's extremely important in our life to know what Jesus said. In Matthew 9, Jesus um, went through all the villages, and when he saw the people, it says he had compassion on them because they were harassed. They were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And it's no wonder Jesus had compassion on them. In Matthew 11, it says that, uh, and these are red letters, by the way. Matthew 11, the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary. Is there anyone weary here this morning? Hmm? Anyone feel a little weary? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you, learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. See that? Take my yoke on you and learn the red words. Learn from me. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, 
My burden is light. Every year, the Harris Poll does a poll. They, we love polls in America, don't we? We're just such a pollster country. It's unbelievable. So every year, the Harris Group does a poll in America in tandem with the American Psychological Association. And what they ask Americans on the street is if they feel stressed, if they feel in any way their life is stressed out. And of course, of course, three-quarters of Americans say yes to an unhealthy level I feel stressed. But here's the kicker. People also say they have difficulty implementing the changes they know will decrease the stress in their life and improve their health. So even though three-quarters of us Americans say we're stressed beyond what should be healthy, we can't implement anything to help ourselves. Whereas Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. He went from village to village, having compassion, because the people were harassed and helpless. Furthermore, Jesus says in Matthew 13, that the seed that falls among the thorns, right, gets choked out. And he said the thorns represent the worries and cares of this life. Not only that, it represents the deceitfulness of wealth. Not wealth, but the deceitfulness of wealth. Well, I'm sharing all these things to just show how important these red words are to us as people. And we know in America there's believers and unbelievers, and we're all experiencing stress. But as believers, we should not allow that to take over our life, that we actually join that crowd out there and say, I'm so stressed out, I don't know what to do about it, I can't really change my life, when in fact our Lord and Savior with his red letters says, come to me, I'll give you rest. Those of you who are weary, you will find rest for your souls. Every generation has faced different scenarios in this nation and around the world when it comes to the truth. Every generation is a little bit different, and by the way, none of it takes God by surprise. He didn't all of a sudden wake up a few years ago and say, wow, I didn't know they were going to have tattoos and piercings. I didn't expect this. No, God is all-knowing. None of this surprises him. But he has wisdom, he has answers, and through his son Jesus, we have the red words that we can depend on. In the book of Esther, <clears throat> we, re we very much relate to that phrase where Mordecai said to, his, uh, to Esther, for such a time as this, God has raised you up. Remember that from the book of Esther? We've always related to that phrase because for such a time as this, God has raised us up as followers of Christ to share the truth, to share these red letters with the culture around us. The famous epic poem, um, I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but there's a line in it, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. What's the name of that epic poem? Um, that's it. Thank you, Bob. The rhyme of the ancient mariner. So all these sailors are in this ship, no wind, suddenly the ship is becalmed in the sea, and they're perishing. Nothing to drink, nothing to eat. Well, why don't you just drink the water around you? Because they'll die from it. I'll tell you this morning, there's water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. We can't partake of what is out there in our culture. It will kill us. However, we have the privilege to share the truth, 
to share the red letters, to share the living water with those people who are around us. What a privilege. For such a time as this, God has brought us to this place. Christians have always related to this. It's a golden opportunity. However, we live in a culture that modifies the truth. That's actually more dangerous than just saying false things. Because when something is a half-truth or a modified truth, people think it's still the truth when in fact it's not the truth. For example, Jesus Christ said, and these are the red letters, the truth shall set you free. Do you believe that today? Our culture quotes that all the time. Even in Hollywood movies, you'll see people like Jim Carrey. Have you ever seen that, Liar Liar? What are you doing watching a movie like that? <clears throat> I've never seen it. I just heard about it. I'm kidding. But anyhow, at the pinnacle of the trial, this liar or lawyer, he said, I'm it's from the movie. I'm not saying that. It's from the movie. He says, the truth shall set you free. And our whole culture believes that. But I want to tell you today, Jesus Christ did not say that as a standalone statement. This is what he actually said. If you continue in my word, you will be my disciples indeed. And then you will know the truth. And then the truth will set you free. Because there's a lot out there that people consider to be truth and assume it will set them free. If I commit a crime here in Ballotin in secret, but then the truth comes out, guess what? It does not set me free. It puts me in a place where I should be in jail, in prison, whatever. So just to quote that willy-nilly <clears throat> is the problem in our culture. And so it's so important for us to see all the red words that Jesus Christ spoke and not modify the truth. We live in a culture that modifies the truth to fit their own desires, to fit their own fancy, and it's our golden opportunity to share the actual truth in this post-Christian, post-modern culture that we live in. So I believe the things I'm going to share today from the Word of God are going to help us in two ways. For one thing, I may say things today, and in fact, if you continue in the Word, and you're his disciple indeed, and you know this truth, it will set you free. The other thing that will happen is I believe these things equip us to help us share the red words with those who are around us so that they actually take a drink. Even though there's water, water everywhere, there's not a drop to drink out there. But if we share these wonderful words of Christ, they will be able to drink deeply. Do we know this morning that knowledge is not synonymous with truth. It's not the same thing. Knowledge and truth are not equal. There's a tremendous amount of knowledge increasing in our culture. Some say knowledge is doubling every five years. You ever heard that? Others say knowledge is doubling every seven years. I say five, seven. What's the difference? It's doubling really fast. The point is, knowledge is on the increase, and that's exactly what it says in the book of Daniel. In the last days, people will run to and fro, and knowledge will increase. But Paul said to Timothy that in the last days, people will be ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. See those contrasting thoughts there? People will run to and fro, knowledge will increase. In the last days, 
People will be ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because people want to come to the knowledge of the truth on their own terms, modify the truth to fit their own desires, to fit their own lifestyle. And in fact, the Lord is saying, if the truth comes to you as a red letter, it will set you free if you continue in my word, if you're my disciple indeed, and you know the truth, then it'll set you free. What a contrast. What a difference. Knowledge is not the same as truth. When I was in school, I remember my father who worked for XL Energy, who at that time was Northern States Power Company. And he came home and began to describe to us children what they had installed downtown Minneapolis. It was called a computer. Wow. And it took up the whole floor of the downtown building just so it could do some calculations and it ran off vacuum tubes so they had to specially air condition the whole floor because it was so hot and it took up the whole floor. Now my cell phone that's sitting over there has way more power than that computer did. And I'm not that old. Oh, you laugh. <laughs> my point is it wasn't that long ago, okay? It's not like I'm a grandfather. Oh, wait a minute, I am a grandfather. So... But the point is, you know, it's not been that long. Seriously, knowledge has increased so fast. But it doesn't bring us to the truth. Have you ever been on jury duty? I was on jury duty in Hennepin County. And unfortunately, one of the guys that was on trial was uh, a deputy sheriff in Hennepin County. And he was being you know, accused of stealing from a drug dealer. When they busted a drug dealer, he took the stuff and all that. And he shouldn't have done it. So I'm in this three-part trial. I'm, I'm on the jury. So, I mean, it went on, not just for days. It went on for weeks. And we just got so much information. We're just sitting there overloaded with all this knowledge. At one point, the judge says, take a break. He called a jury into his chambers. He said, I just want to let you know, you're being inundated with all these facts. He said, and this was the words he literally used. This knowledge won't necessarily bring you to the truth. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? He's a wise judge. He said, you've got to weigh all these things you've learned and as the jury, come to the truth. You know, in our culture right now, we are so schizophrenic. We have amazing medical insight and knowledge. I have a good friend whose child had a problem uh, in the mother's womb and they can now do in vitro surgery and repair little bitty things on these little bitty unborn babies like a hole in the heart and stuff and yet we still abort children so all the knowledge that we've gained in this area hasn't brought us to the truth that this is a living human being inside that mother what is the matter with us well what's the matter with us is that we modify the truth to fit our own desires to fit our own wants to fit our own flesh knowledge is not the same as truth. The other thing is truth comes from the inside out. Truth comes from the inside out. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he will guide you into truth. And then Paul picks up on this thought in Ephesians and he says to the church in Ephesus, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. You know, there are a lot of people that saw Jesus after he was resurrected and they didn't recognize him. You ever notice that? It's amazing. 
person after person who should have recognized Christ after he's resurrected, they don't even know who he is, starting with Mary in the garden, thinking that he's the gardener, right? The guys on the road to Emmaus, all these people who saw the resurrected Christ, what was the matter? The eyes of their hearts had not yet been opened. And a few times, like with Mary, all he did was, Jesus did was say her name, and the eyes of her heart were open. So truth doesn't just come from the outside in. It is revealed by the Spirit from the inside out. If we can put ourselves in a place, avail ourselves to the grace of God and to the Holy Spirit, we will know the truth. We will understand the truth. We will be disciples indeed. And it will set us free. And then we can turn around and by God's grace and by the Holy Spirit share this truth with others. Did you know that truth is revealed in slow motion? Now be honest with me here. Is anybody going to watch football later today? Be honest. Raise your hand. You can watch football? Okay. Some people are going to watch football. All right. This is going to happen. I can guarantee this will happen. Some guy will be going, running down the sideline, and he will catch this amazing pass. He will pull it into himself. But wait a minute. Did he really catch it? Was he juggling it? Were his feet in bounds? Did he have full possession when he hit the ground? When he hit the ground, did the ground make it pop out? Or was he juggling the ball? Was his foot on the sideline? Was he in? You understand what I'm saying? Okay. But wait a minute. How do we get to the truth of this thing? It's called slow motion. Instant replay. And most of the time, most of the time, it brings us to the truth. I want to tell us this morning and remind us that the truth of Christ is not revealed just because we're in a hurry and we want to know it. It's revealed in slow motion. When was the last time you told someone, hurry up and meditate? <laughs> it's a contradiction. It's an oxymoron. It, it doesn't work. You can't meditate and hurry. The whole idea of meditation is you're not hurrying. And truth is revealed as we meditate. Truth is revealed as we continue in his word. Truth is revealed as we are his disciples indeed. I love being out in the woods. It's no secret that I like hunting. I talk about hunting and I go hunting when I have the opportunity. I haven't been out yet, but I sure will. God willing. Last year I was hunting and uh, my friend and I walked to our stands and he goes a little bit farther north and I go a little farther south and then we come into our stands and we're quite a ways away from, from each other. Uh, but one day we walked in, it was in the morning, we we're walking into those stands, it was kind of a gray day, a little drizzly and, and he got a little ahead of me and, and, and so I'm trying not to be in too much of a hurry but as I got close to my stand I heard noise coming out of the woods toward me. Okay, what's the truth here? Is it a bear? Because, I mean, there's a lot of bear where we hunt. Is it a deer? Is it another person? Is it my friend? Uh, bow and arrow, okay. So I'm fully camouflaged, and I slowed down so slow, I was hardly moving. And as I proceeded ahead, I really wanted to get into my stand, but I thought, you know, if I hurry up, I'll just mess up the whole thing. So I just moved imperceptibly, so slow, I was barely moving, and then I saw it coming out of the woods was three deer. At that point, I was moving so slow that they didn't see me. And something happens, never happened to me before or since. One deer came toward me, 
more and more and more. It's coming right at me, and I just froze, and it actually touched me. It brushed by me. I felt, I mean, that's how close, here's the deer, here's me right there. (laughs) My point is, when I'm out in the woods, humanly speaking, doing something I really enjoy, I think nothing of slowing down for the sake of the enjoyment and the ultimate goal. How much more should I be willing to slow down when it comes to knowing the truth? We must put aside our fast pace to know the truth. It is not revealed quickly just because we want to know everything quickly. It is revealed in God's time and in His way as we fully meditate. Another time I'm sitting there and I've had birds land on me, on my boot, on my hat, on my arrow. But this was amazing. I was moving super slow, just barely moving my head. And this big owl came and landed, boom, right there on the branch. Right next to me where I normally hang my bow, there's an owl. And I'm moving my eyes and I'm thinking, I don't really want to freak him out because they have pretty big talons, you know. And so I just turned my head and I went, who? (laughs) And that all got freaked out. (laughs) Okay, well, enough of that story. So, four things, four things that we can do to greatly help ourselves uh, know the truth as Christ wants us to know the truth. Number one, discern. We must be discerning. God give us discernment that we can tell the difference between knowledge and truth. Don't mistake all knowledge for truth because knowledge is increasing all around you. So discern. Second, trust. Trust the Christ in you. Trust Christ in you, giving you specific experiences over time. Don't be anxious. Discern and trust. Discern and trust and pray. I began my message by talking about how extremely important it is to wrestle in prayer for things that we believe in. Pray as Paul prayed that the eyes of your heart would be open so that enlightenment would come from the inside out. And finally, enjoy your freedom because the truth will set you free. Enjoy that freedom. That's what Christ wants. Christ died for your freedom. Christ suffered for your freedom. He wants you to enjoy your freedom. So discern, know the difference between knowledge and truth. Trust Christ in you, and he'll give you experiences over time. Don't be anxious. Pray that the eyes of your heart would be open and enjoy your freedom. I'm going to end with a little story from John chapter 9, and you've probably heard this story. It's an amazing account of Jesus Christ, a blind man, and the religious leaders of the day. And it's such a great picture of the truth and how we see or don't see. John chapter 9 says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And of course, Christ's answer is, Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As this story goes on, what we see here concerning the truth is what people often think is true isn't, and what people don't think is true is. So I want to say a few things about us. Don't hinder the miraculous with your own mixture 
or modification of the truth. We see here there was a philosophy that everything must have a cause and effect. Obviously, this guy is blind. That means either he sinned or his parents sinned. There was a skeptical, adversarial kind of investigation by the religious leaders. And I won't read all the verses. But they wanted to investigate Jesus. They wanted to prove that he was wrong, that it wasn't real. They wanted to prove that he was a sinner. They were judging out of human tradition. It got to the point where they said the guy that was healed wasn't really that guy. It was someone who looks like him. And then they wanted to inquire of his parents, is this really your son? Now tell us because we need to trap him because, oh my, he healed on the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? He healed on the Sabbath? What a terrible thing to do. Take a blind man and heal him on the Sabbath. But you see, they so held to their modification of the truth. Interestingly, though, if their oxen fell in a hole, it was okay to pull the ox out on the Sabbath. But they wanted to trap Jesus with their modification of the truth, and so they wanted to prove, uh-oh, he had healed on the Sabbath. He's got to be a bad guy. There was division among the people of God there. There was doubt. There was fear. When they inquired of the parents, the parents wouldn't even stand up for their son. This is so amazing. John 9. They wouldn't even stand up for their son and say, oh yeah, that's him. We love him. That's our son. We don't know this Jesus, but he must be amazing because he healed him. No. It said they were afraid to answer and they said, ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. And then it says in John 9, the reason they said that was they were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. Wow. There was perverse religion, obviously, there. There was a spiritual deafness taking place. They weren't hearing. There was a pride all over the place. There was an ignorance of who Jesus is, and there was a self-righteousness. And these are all enemies of the truth. Whereas what Christ was saying, which is, again, red letters, we can experience the work of God in our lives, God puts his work on display in his way. It can be a door for the gospel, whatever happens. Uh, it shows the promise of answered prayer. It actually led to this man's salvation. It revealed who Christ was, and it inspired this man to worship. And I'm going to read just a few verses at the end. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out of the synagogue, and he found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Red letters. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said this. You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will uh, those who see will become blind. Now you read some of these things and you go, wow, what a play on words here. Why is Jesus doing this? He's doing this so that people will seek him. He's not answering straight up for the convenience of the religious leaders so they can walk away happy with the modified truth. He's making it so that they must seek him to find the truth. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, are we blind too? And that would have been a perfect time for Jesus to say, yeah, you're spiritually blind. But instead he said this, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. So in other words, a play on words again. Being blind to sin, blind to the world, 
blind to the modification of truth in these things. And then he said, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. But I think the most powerful verse is as Jesus speaks in red letters this truth to this man. Who is he, sir? You're speaking with him. And the man said, I believe. And he worshipped him. Let's pray. Lord, we worship you today. Lord, we know as we worship you, we are in fact worshiping the one who said, I am the truth. Lord, we acknowledge today that you are in fact the truth. You didn't just speak the truth. You didn't just tell the truth. You are the truth. Lord, as we worship you today, we pray that we could be those who are marked with the character of one who is continuing in your word. Lord, we pray that we might, in fact, be your disciples indeed. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to know the truth and being set free by it. And we pray, Lord, you would use us to pour out that crystal clear water to a dying culture around us. A culture that is dying of thirst because there's water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Lord, we pray it would bring us into a fresh place of knowing the truth, being set free by the truth and sharing the truth with those around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.